He is the king of clay. He's back to world number one. Rafa Nadal lifts title number eight in Rome. As Nadal does what Nadal needs to do at championship point 40-35-3. A second championship point. Reaches up and serves out wide. The backhand clips the top of the net from Zverev. It puts Nadal off his flow, but he hits the back forehand cross court. Then inside out forehand from Nadal. Forehand cross court from Zverev. Inside in goes Nadal. Defensive backhand cross court clips the top of the net. Sits up surely, surely, surely. Cross court goes Nadal. He's at the net. Can he pass him? Lovely volley from Nadal. And there it is from Rafa Nadal. Title number eight in the eternal city. Nadal champion here for the first time since 2013. Title number 56 on the clay, 32nd Masters 1000 title and the perfect preparation for Paris. Rafa Nadal is your champion in Rome, 6-1, 1-6, 6-3. Coming through against Sasha Zverev, the second seed here in Rome, and the world number three. And for Sasha Zverev, he will lead the road to London. But all clay roads are now leading to Paris, and as ever, the Spaniard is the man to beat. He continues, Nadal, to amaze and delight on a surface he adores. And here on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, reaction to a final that took a number of twists and turns, together with a little later, some of the best bits from our week in Rome. Gigi Samna alongside Naomi Cavaday. And I I just feel like I'm putting myself on repeat throughout a large part of this clean court season. What would you like to say about Rafa Nadal? <laughs> well, that was an interesting final, actually, for Nadal. He was really tested and he had to fight himself as well as fighting the number three player in the world in Sasha Zverev down the other end. And he managed to come out on top of both of those battles. That is how tough he is. He had such a big wobble in the middle, looked concerned, didn't know really what was going on. He was fed up. He was frustrated with himself that he just could not find the right level. One of the worst sets from him I think I've ever seen on a clay court. But to then respond like that, deal with the rain delay, so much was going on in that match, as well as Zverev playing some brilliant stuff as well. And Nadal, well, found a way yet again. Well, in that second set that Sasha Zverev won 6-1. Nadal's unforced serves were almost into double figures, which is unheard of in a set on clay, and he hit just the one winner. The rain, they had an 11-minute delay with the rain, and then there was the big delay that came 3-2, Zverev in the decider with the break. And if you're Sasha Zverev, you will, you cannot help but think of of what if, what if the rain had stayed away? What if I'd managed to keep this momentum? Yes, there was still an awful lot of tennis to play against someone of the caliber of Rafa Nadal, but Zverev was in a very, very good position when the rain came. But he didn't go away after the rain. It wasn't his fault. It was that Rafa was back to being Rafa. He was back to being as good as he was in the first set, actually better. He did not put a foot wrong, looked like he was not gonna miss, he barely did. And Zverev couldn't keep up with it. And I think that just that is the situation we're faced with. When Nadal is playing anywhere near his best tennis on this surface, Zverev and everybody else can't keep up with it. Um, and it was just a case of whether he was able to do that. Now, most of the other players can't keep up with Rafa at 50% of his best, but we saw from Zverev that he could do that. So that is a positive, but there's still a gap. There is definitely still a gap. And now some of, I mean, if we did all of Nadal's numbers, I mean, the podcast would probably be the longest podcast ever. So just a couple to throw out that he now has 357 Masters match wins. That's two more than Roger Federer. That was his 48th Masters final. And he's got 32 Masters titles, which... Uh, well, it's just two more than Novak Djokovic, who's second placed in that list. And his clay record was 407 to 36. And that incredible record of when he's won the first set on clay, he's in all the matches he's played, he's only lost and still only lost the nine matches. Phenomenal numbers from Nadal. But with the, uh, the, after the first set, 
he started getting into a bit of trouble. We were realistically thinking there was a six-love set on the cards for Sasha Zverev against Nadal. I had to look up when the last time that was, and normally I've prepared all of this sort of information, <laughs> and I know, but I just thought there was not a, a chance of that happening, or why would I ever need to know that? And it was back in 2007 to Roger Federer in the Hamburg final, and one can only imagine that he was pretty ill on that occasion or something <laughs> went wrong. Um, but, it, I mean, he was he was four love down. It was looking, uh, you know, pretty much like it was going in the, the Zverev direction, but he managed to get a game on the board and he managed to, to rally round yet again. And even at, with Zverev being a breakup at the rain delay, it still felt pretty even. It felt like Nadal was coming. Nadal is in his element when he's up against it. It's what he lives for. It's what he absolutely loves. He is ruthless. And he knows how to win when he's not playing well. And he didn't play well for a good chunk of the match. Not all of it. He played well in, in parts. He played brilliantly at the end. Played very well in the first set. Um, but... Uh, Probably about half the match, it was not great at all, but yet he won. Nadal will have his raft of media commitments before he hits a ball in Paris game with title number 11. He, though, has a few days off now. Maybe he'll go on the boat back home and just completely switch off and relax. The positives for Sasha Zverev, you feel, cannot switch off and relax because he's coming up to that nut that so far he hasn't been able to crack, which is the Grand Slam nut. Yes. And it's a question mark over Zverev, but he's very young. He's learning. He will get there. I, I hope that because he has had so much drama, so many matches, so much time on court in the past few weeks, and so many titles, two titles, and one final going into it, that he won't be feeling a little fatigued. He does have a full week to recover, so he should be feeling okay when he gets there. But you also do need to prepare on the court. You can't just rest for a week. You need to get ready. Um, so he should be feeling okay, but uh, he's had a lot of tennis, and he's still learning how to play at that level consistently. It's getting better. We've seen that in the past few weeks, and how much he dug in in this tournament in Rome when he was pretty tired. He was st feeling like it was coming to an end. He had to dig deep against David Goffin in the quarterfinals and, and coming back from a set down against Rafael Nadal in, in the final, not able to win in the end. Um, showing some tough stuff, which is good. Uh, that's new for Zverev, which is excellent. That's what he's working on and that's what he needs to bring into Roland Garros. I don't think he can challenge for the title yet. He will finish his career with bags of Grand Slams, I'm sure. Maybe not in the same realm as Nadal or Federer, but I'm sure he'll have a fair few. Um, I, I don't think he's even... He's going to be second seed and I, I don't know if he's able to win it. Can I throw a few names at you now from this week? I mean, they're names you've heard of. You just sort of look at me. They're not going to be random names, but just to get your thoughts <laughs> okay. on how they, you're thinking, who on earth is she going to mention now? Uh, he went out the first round of qualifying. No, let me start <laughs> with <laughs> start. Novak Djokovic, the, the week he's had in Rome. Now, Novak Djokovic has a great chance in Roland Garros. <laughs> Remarkably, even though he crashed out earlier and didn't manage to take a set off uh, Rafael Nadal, but, oh, he's back. If you are a Djokovic fan, and is I he know... Back? Is that it? He's back? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. He's back. Um... Whether or not he can hit the heights that we've seen in terms of the utter domination in 2011 and also the back half of 2015 and 2016, I mean, that was, I mean, he was just unplayable for most of those, th those two particular parts in his career. I doubt it because I, I still don't really believe they happened in the first place because they were that extraordinary. I mean, the matches he was putting together back to back was, were just sensational. Um, but in terms of challenging for slams, absolutely. Is he physically back? Or we feel that he's mentally back and the fire has been relit. But what about physically going into a Grand Slam, which is beyond punishing, especially on the clay? It is. And, uh, it, you know, you can't substitute playing matches, real matches in, uh, in practice. And you can get as gym fit as you want. And boy, is he gym fit. He's as ready as he can be. But you do need the time actually in the matches to get fit in that way. Just because of the way you land, the way you move, you get stiff in different places. Also, just carry tension you're just walking around the court with a bit of, of tension through all of your muscles that makes you really tight and sore the next day as well you just you just can't replicate that in practice so I think physically maybe he's not quite there I don't think he will win Roland Garros but he could go deep good draw though because he's a bit of a floater can I tell us, in the predictions competition that we run, and we should say congratulations to our producer, Russell and Colin Fleming, whichever order you'd like to put them, because they got the same number of points and they did very well. And I would like to say congratulations to Naomi, who goes from bottom to second bottom. Most improved. You, you, you always have to be seen to be improving. I'm sure you say that to your young charges. Yes. So up we go. We, we 
we've been running this, we will be running this around the Masters event, and you've been a little bit left field. I'm not sure if you wholeheartedly believe Pablo Crena Busto would win Rome, but you stuck him down there. So we get to Roland Garros, and I say to Naomi, we're having a predictions competition for Roland Garros. Who's going to win? Well, <laughs> I like to enjoy the predictions competition. <laughs> I'm not as competitive as some, mentioning no names. Couple of quite close by to us. <laughs> couple of people in the mix. The predictions are very competitive. Very. I mean, they get quite wound up when their players lose. I early. mean, they get you get messages. And so they get I quite upset. You know, I quite like to pick people who are a little different, just because I think that you know. But oh, it might happen. It might. Ha it's happened before. Come on then. It's happened before. Who predicted Chilich to win a Grand Slam when he did? Come no on, one. Then. Who's going to win Roland Garros? Um, no, Nadal's going to win Roland Garros. Hey, Come on. You see, you see. Not even Naomi Cavaday, who tries to be super left field with her predictions, will go again. Who? Okay, who's your second? Then who? Is, who is the second? Oh, and, and let me throw in. Look, why don't we throw in at this point the man who is your Roman highlight in Marin Cilic because of where he got to in the competition? What if the draw falls kindly for him? It's impossible to say who's going to be in the final until we see the draw, because everybody in Nadal's section is out. <laughs> so that's half the draw well, gone. that's Dominic Team because earlier you said to me that it would be good for Dominic Team to be in, in Nadal's half of the draw. It would be. If... <laughs> this is the, Look, if he wants to win Roland Garros, and I'm pretty sure he does, yeah. then he's going to have to beat Rafa Nadal. Yes. Okay, because otherwise somebody else is going to have to do it for him. It looks like no one else is going to do that. I mean, Fabio Fanini might be able to flash one. You never know. Um, so... He's best off playing him as early as possible, and the earliest time he can meet him is in the quarterfinals. I'd pick round one if I could. Okay, you're going to gamble. You might lose early, but you'd much rather play Nadal early than in a final. I mean, look at the level of tennis he produced with part of the final in Rome. I mean, he really starts to hit his stride and get better and better through the tournament. So, Marin Cilic, your highlight from Rome is in the bottom half of the draw. He's away from Nadal until the final. Could you see him, from what you've seen, this run to his first Masters clay semi-final and how he's playing at the moment, weave his way through? Would he be in your top three outside of Nadal in the bottom half to come through? Top three? I, I could possibly see him getting through. Yes, I could. Um, just depending on, on how the draw goes. Um, there, are, there are players that could really trouble him when they're playing well, but um, Cilic is finding his form on clay. And look, he, he beat Carreño Busta in the quarterfinals here in Rome. And uh, I thought that was going to be difficult for him, but Carreño Busta did not play particularly well. So Cilic is, he's very good at beating those players. If they're not quite on, not quite switched on, you know, he will, he will take that opportunity. He's an opportunist. And I think people miss that with, with Marin Cilic. You know, he's taken the Grand Slam. There have not been many available outside of the, the big four. He's taken the Grand Slam. He's got through to the semis here because Karenio Busta didn't play the best match and he was being very clinical and playing well. If there is an opportunity in the draw in Cilic's section, he'll take it. So I could absolutely see him going through to the final. You said categorically that Novak Djokovic is back. So can I give you another name and ask if you believe he is back too? Kei Nishikori. Yeah, I think he is. I think if you're a Nishikori fan, you can get excited. It was really nice to see the mentality and the focus from him back on the court because I think even before he got injured, he was pretty fed up and he was fed up with the injuries that were constantly niggling him. I mean, the wrist, he was in a lot of pain. So he'd been fed up and he'd been battling for quite a while and he just had seemed quite negative for a while. The shoulders were slumped and, you know, there were a lot of withdrawals in matches. And of course, it's frustrating for him more than anyone. Um, but he, we haven't seen a fresh, revived, positive, you know, real feisty, competitive Nishikori in a, in a long, long time since probably quite significantly before the injuries happened um, and he had that long layoff. So to see that is excellent. I think it's brilliant. And he played some really, really good stuff against Novak Djokovic. Um, really good stuff all the way through the tournament. He's got a good chance of going deep. He can't win it. I don't think he'll win it. Um, but he's got a good <laughs> chance. I mean, you, I could, you know, quarterfinals... Absolutely, can see that happening. Well, it's interesting looking down at the Rome quarterfinals, working away from the bottom upwards. Sasha's Rev, who we know he's still got to do something at a Grand Slam, he's going to be the second seed there. David Goffin, who knows how to play on a clay court, and he's working himself back still, I think, a little bit from that freak eye injury in Rotterdam. Marin Cilic, you've just talked about. Pablo Crena Busta, who you always talk about. Novak Djokovic, who you believe is back. And that refers to if people are wondering our predictions competition where the Spaniard does feature heavily. 
Kane Shakuri, there's Nadal there, and Fabio Fanini. It was his best showing in Rome. We know what he did to Andy Murray last year, but getting through to the quarterfinals was the Italian's best showing. And it's something we talked about when I was asking you about the game plan of Fanini and what he does. And he said, it just, it just matches up well. He's a player that Fanini likes playing. Well, you've got to be flashy, I think, to beat Nadal. It's, it, you can't out-discipline him. You know, you can't play sensible tennis and think that's going to get it done. Um, you know, you have to come up with some interesting shots. You have to take the ball early. You've got to really swing your serve out wide and it, it better be wide. When you go with width, you have to go with a big risk. You've got to take it early. You've got to hit it flat. You've got to put a lot of power behind it to take him off the court. Because if you just want to work the ball wide, well, you're just giving him all of the angles and all of the time to do what he wants on the shot. He loves nothing more than to sit outside the tram line with time on the ball so that he can rip his forehand and hook it wherever he wants to. So you have to, you know, you have to change the way you approach the match. And uh, Vanini's pretty good at that. And he did it. Oh, he was awesome for a set. Really, really good. But, you know, he couldn't sustain it. But he gave it a good crack. And you'd like, you know, you like to see that when you're playing against the big guys. You don't want people to come out and just play normal tennis that they know has no chance of winning. And we haven't even talked about the players. Well, Milos Raonic, who said he will not be at Roland Garros, but Kevin Anderson, who played so well in Madrid and sadly had to retire with a hamstring problem here. Diego Schwartzman, who's picking up a few good results on clay now. And Juan Martín del Potro. What can Juan Martín del Potro do? He could do it. He could do it. I mean, Nadal's going to win it. In brackets, but he's not going to. <laughs> Nadal's going to win it. No, yeah. do you know, the, there are threats to Nadal, and the biggest threat to Nadal is Djokovic, for me right now. Um, I think Zverev is a threat, but a small threat. And also he'll be in the other side of the draw, so it'll be a final. Yeah. And I just think that's an impossible time to play. Best of five sets in a final on Philippe Chatrier. It just could not get any tougher. Uh, so I just don't, I don't, I don't see that happening really. I mean, I think, again, like teams, Verev would be a threat if he played him earlier in the draw. He can't because he's mm -hmm. got the privilege of being second seed. He's got to, got to hope that somebody knocks him out for him. I think Djokovic could do it. I think team could beat him. Uh, again, I don't think any of these, these things will happen. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this is the pointless podcast. <laughs> no, do you know what? No, Djokovic, Djokovic definitely. He, he really, he, he could. He could in the find final his, or is he no, going to beat him? in the final. No, earlier on. First round? He's a floater, Djokovic. He's, he's a lower seed. Um, it, won't, it won't be first round. He's seeded Djokovic. No, I know. But in terms of you want him early, making the point that you want Djokovic to face him early. Yeah. To, Get yeah. the better of him and maybe get the victory. Quarterfinals, I think, is quarterfinals the best time to play Nadal. That's a good time to play Nadal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, if you can't, you know, put the match on grass, <laughs> it's always helpful. Yeah, might not quarterfinals, but I think Djokovic has got a chance of beating him team. Um, and it's then I think someone like John Isner, like big server, could just... It's just a five-set thing. I know, it's annoying, isn't it? Because you're adding another couple. I mean, he's already pretty good on the on best of three. Then you're sticking another couple in there and having to keep that focus and be mentally sharp and have that belief when the fellow at the other end is bouncing around like it's the first point every point. Yeah. Well, that's tough. Well, I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> well, no, you actually, you actually said it's not going to happen. So <laughs> exactly. we're having this sort of randomly pointless conversation about someone beating Nadal when it's just when you started the conversation with that, it's not going to happen. But maybe, and Del Potra, we should say, had to retire against David Goff out with left groin problems. So we'll be listening out fine. to hope that he's fine and keep an eye as to what will be happening. So a couple of highlights to round off the Internationale BNL d'Italia chat for 2018, Naomi Cavaday. A couple of couple of highlights, maybe a couple of matches you enjoyed or people you enjoyed seeing. Well, I loved seeing Cilic come through to the semi-finals on clay. It's almost remarkable it's not happened before. I know it's his weakest surface, but, you know, I mean, it's only a different surface. The dimensions of the court are still the same. The rules are still the same. So you'd think that somebody of Cilic's standard and quality would have, uh, have achieved that. So really good for him to get that under his belt. He'll be feeling nice and confident going into Roland Garros. That was great. Djokovic against Nishikori was a fantastic quarterfinal. Absolutely loved doing that one. I thought uh, great tennis all round. Nishikori a little up and down, but uh, Djokovic battling away, finding new levels as well. So a couple of, there were, were my couple of highlights. Thank you for your company. And uh, Naomi, congratulations on making slow but steady progress in the ATP predictions. And we do invite listeners to get involved as well. So at ATP Tennis Radio on Twitter, if you would like to challenge 
well, our producer, really, at the moment, because it's none of the rest of us. I think I've gone from top in Monte Carlo to middling, sort of slip. I'm, I'm heading towards you. We'll really. cross over at some point. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> and thank you to Naomi Kerr. So it might be all from Naomi and I having a chat about what took place in Rome this week, but the podcast, you'll be glad to know, hopefully, is far from over as we put together the best bit from our time at the Foro Italico with Seb Lozio speaking to the great and good from the world of tennis. I'm sitting outside the, the players' dining room with Ivan Sinkus, coach of Marin Cilic, who's just come through uh, very well in two straight sets, but it was a bit topsy-turvy, Ivan. But as you just said to me, you never quite know what you're going to get when you're playing Benoit Paire, who actually told me yesterday that he's playing, he thinks, some of the best tennis of his career. So I guess that means that Marin must have played all right. Well, yeah, Marin played really good, uh, especially when he was having problems with the knee. And uh, we have few practice uh, when we come here and a uh, few also sets to play on the practice uh, courts. So for uh, for Marin and for me, it's really good that he play good and uh, especially that uh, pair play unbelievable. We were practicing with him first day and he said, oh, again, I play with uh, Gasquet and I'm losing all the time. I'm just running and then I miss. <laughs> and then I say, okay, maybe tomorrow you are not going to miss. And then he won against uh, Gasquet and, uh, yesterday. Uh, when he was uh, down set and uh, 4-2 with a break and he won the match, it's unbelievable. Marin actually mentioned to me in the TV interview that I did for him afterwards, um, the knee. How worrying is that? Uh, he feel that uh, after the Monte Carlo, we do easy part, uh, three, four days without tennis and then we start again and then it was wedding and uh, again he feel in the Istanbul, it was like... 20% he feels still and then we said uh, it's the best way to finish is like seven days uh, no tennis and uh, he was uh, working uh, like four hours in the therapy two in the morning two in the afternoon uh, with uh, a laser with the ultras walk with uh, so many things and now it's better okay he f- he doesn't feel uh, 100% but it's 90 95% is good which I'm sure you'll take 90, 95% when a guy's that big hit. That's okay. Um, you mentioned the wedding. I have to ask, you know, um, that's a big thing for anyone, as, as we know, you know. But also, importantly, it takes a lot of energy, mental energy. I mean, it, has Marin got over that now? I mean, is he still in the honeymoon period? Well, maybe a little bit there. <laughs> but now it's uh, serious because uh, it's coming uh, French Open and everything. And uh, it was a nice wedding. It was everything perfect. And of course, it's like so many people come on the wedding and you need to organize everything uh, with, uh, with the wife <laughs> and with the other people. And, uh, but everything was, uh, everything was good. And I presume, has he been on a honeymoon? I, I don't know, it's like half-half. I, I think he was a little bit in Istanbul, but uh, after I think after Wimbledon he will, he will go. And your job now, I guess, is to, as you say, get him focused back on his tennis. Um, having watched him the last couple of weeks, where can he still get better with the French Open in, in mind? OK, we're still uh, making progress in the return, on the, especially on the second serve and... Uh, on a, on a forehand, he improved uh, really well. He controlling uh, really, really good. And uh, what also he can do a little bit with, uh, with the serve, uh, mixing a little bit more. This is a couple of things he needs to improve. Because it's such a dangerous serve on clay, the kicker out wide. If he can get that going, so dangerous. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the most important that he is uh, focused about that he can mixing around with the kick, with the slice, with the, the flat, and then he, he is becoming a really, really dangerous. And just finally, Rome. You enjoy Rome? Oh, I, I just want to go to Vatican. Okay, I'm not going to see Pope, <laughs> but I just want to uh, go to Vatican to see it. It's like my like dream to come, you know. I've never been in Rome, so it's my... Just want to see it. I'm here with Benoit Paire, who's just spoken there with the French media. And I know, Benoit, you've got a football match that you yeah. want to go and watch, so I'm not going to keep you long. What is that football match, by the way? That's the final of uh, Ligue Europa uh, between Marseille and uh, Atletico Madrid. It's very important for us because I support Olympique de Marseille. 
course it is. Yeah, of course. Um, now you're through to the third round. A really good match today. A funny match, though. It, it yeah. really turned in the second set, didn't it? Exactly. I was six two four two down, and uh, uh, he made a very bad game at four twos, and was good for me for the confidence. And after with the, with the crowd, it was crazy. Uh, I like uh, this. Play in Italy to play in Roma. I made semi-final in 2013. So for me, I, I have a lot of good memories. And uh, yeah, at the end, I was playing very well and uh, very happy about the win because uh, Diego is a very good player. Yeah, that game up four all in the second yeah, set. They all the came out in the middle, didn't they? Game of my life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four winner. It was crazy and uh, a little bit lucky. You mentioned Rome 2013. I think you lost to Roger in the semi-final. Yeah. You gave him a really good game that day. You, you like Rome. You feel. Uh, I heard you say you feel hot exactly. in Rome. I feel hot at home. At home, and uh, I like to play here. I feel like at home too. And uh, I like the food. I like the people. I like everything here. They're a little bit crazy like me, so they support me every match, and I really enjoy to play in Roma. For me, that's the, the best tournament in the, in the year, and uh, I really enjoy every time to come back here. And you were also talking a little bit about your back. I know you're having to manage that, but also I heard you say you, you think you're, you're playing some of the best tennis of your career. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you balance those two things? Exactly, I think my tennis is the best tennis of my life, but after with my, my back since the beginning of the year, it's not easy to, to play every tournament full, but uh, I try to manage it and uh, I'm going to do a lot of treatment to, to be focused and to be to be 100% for my next match against Silic. But uh, yeah, for sure, with my tennis, I feel good. I feel, honestly, when I play, the, when I play with my foreign like today, that's because I feel good. <laughs> I hope when you get out of bed tomorrow, the back feels all right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Merci. Merci beaucoup. I am very happy to uh, catch up with Corrado Berazzuti, the, the captain of the Italian Davis Cup team. And how, how do you rate the way the, the tournament's been for the Italian players, Corrado? Well, I think... Uh, for the first year, maybe we have a, a, a sign that the young player is coming, is coming up. You know, we have a, a very good player, young player. Berrettini's played very well, won the first round here, and uh, Sonego too. Uh, Cecchinato has played very well, uh, and uh, that is very good for the for the for the moving, Italian moving. Behind uh, the Fabio Fognini and uh, Seppi, it's very important for the Italian tennis. Yeah. It's been wonderful to see Fabio playing so well and enjoying the crowd here in Rome. Yeah, yeah, everybody are very, very happy to see Fognini, Fabio's play so well, and it's very. Uh, and we are happy because uh, it's coming from uh, four weeks uh, not very, very good. Uh, and uh, I start to play well uh, here in Rome, and that is uh, very good for everybody and uh, for all the public, uh, for uh, for us too, for me too. That uh, I'm the, 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 the Davis Cup captain, and um, we are happy because it's the first time in the quarterfinal. That is uh, is uh, great. He makes the game look so easy, doesn't he, Fabio? Yeah. I mean, he's so talented. Uh, he look, he look, he look as when when you see Fabio to play. Look like the, the tennis is very simple, huh? but uh, it's because of Fabio. For Fabio, it's very easy to play when when he's in confidence. Because sometimes when you see uh, uh, Fabio play bad, it's really another 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 imagine another thing. But uh, fortunately here, uh, so we can see Fabio play well. And that's uh, is a is a great tennis. Really, it's great tennis. And you were the top-ranked Italian player yourself. Um, how difficult is it as an Italian player playing in Italy, where the fans are so passionate? Is there an expectation on the Italian players well, to, to have to perform? Yeah, I think that for, for every player is, a, is a something different. You know, you can play here in Rome and have a depression. Uh, the pressure of the the, 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 the the public uh, to play here to win uh, everybody uh, come to, to to see you for to see you win and that is maybe could be uh, something difficult but for uh, other player maybe like uh, Fabio he look in uh, good feel here he like to play in Rome with this public uh, and in uh, and, and I think that's a for him, is is a help. He play much, much better. So, it's uh, different for every player. 
You, you mentioned the young players coming through who've played well. And in Next Gen last year in Milan, we saw Quincy, the young boy Quincy. Yeah. Which of the young players in Italy are you most excited about? Well, uh, I think that uh, Quincy is uh, one of these. Uh, uh, but we are uh, we have a lot, I tell you before. There is uh, Berrettini and uh, Sonego, Quincy too. We have uh, Baldi. Baldi is playing play very, very good here. And uh, and then we have a Donati was not here, not play here, but is a very good uh, player. That's are the, the the best young uh, that I think they can they can uh, they can do something for the future. I wanted to also ask you about your own career. My career. Yeah, yeah. 1978, you yeah. Uh, yeah, you made the semi final at the French. You yeah. you lost I think, 40 years ago. You don't look old enough. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, you lost to Bjorn Borg that day. Yeah, yeah. I what do you remember of that uh, match? I remember the semi-final, the results of the semi-final. <laughs> six, six love, six one, six love. A very, very hard match. Yeah, and we play against Borg. And uh, I remember that uh, before to to go in the in the court to play the semi-final, I talk with my coach and I say, I feel very well today, I want to try to win. <laughs> and I win one game, <laughs> only one. And I say to Bjorn, when we finish the match, I'm sorry for the, this game that I won. <laughs> what was your, when you look back now, obviously that's not one of your favourite memories. What is your favourite memory when you look back at your whole career now? Well, my favourite memory maybe. The first semi-final in Flashy Meadows in, was a Forest Hills. I was very young, so uh, that was a great result. And I lost against uh, Jimmy Connors. And then maybe the Davis Cup, the final, Davis Cup final. We won against uh, the, the Chile in uh, Santiago. It was a, for us, it was a great result because of the team was a, a team of young players. Because uh, Panata was a twenty. 25, me, 23, so a younger, young team. And you, I think you were still the last Italian man inside the world's top 10, is that, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, is, yeah. is there a, yeah, is there a top 10 I, player I on the horizon? I'm not, sure. I'm, I'm not checking, but I think... Uh, I well, think there was Flavia Panetta, of course, in yeah, the women's yeah, game, but yeah, I don't think there's been yeah, a man yeah, since. Last, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, we, so we need another another top 10. We wait, we wait uh, for another top 10 and we hope that it's coming very, very... Uh, fast, uh, but uh, we have a Fabio that uh, is close. Eh? It's very close to be uh, number ten. So we wait uh, for, uh, for for Fabio, and then uh, we wait for some younger in the future. Yeah, the way he's playing, who knows? Corrado, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here down in a very busy players area with Robin Hasser, who's just uh, dropped his rackets off, I think, to be to be restrung, um, and a player that. I've wanted to talk to Robin ever since that wonderful match with Juan Martín del Potro in Miami, um, which really caught the imagination for a number of reasons. I know you're on the wrong end of the result. I want to talk to you about Rome as well. But uh, first of all, what are, your, what are your memories of that one? Oh, well, a lot of memories. Uh, it was a great, uh, as you said, it was a great match uh, with some uh, great highlights from uh, both of us and uh, amazing crowd. And uh, it was uh, yeah, a very nice and pleasant evening to play. Uh, unfortunately, I lost. Um, um, but uh, I think, yeah, overall, it was a, a great, entertaining match to watch. Let's talk about Rome, because that's where we are here, obviously. You've had a good win in the first round against Daniel Medvedev. Um, after a, a bit of a slow start, are you happy with the way you're playing? Uh, well, not, not in the be beginning. Uh, I started off with a break, and I was like, OK, that's an that's a early, uh, early break and a very good start. However, then I lost the next four games, uh, so that, that was not good at all. In the end, I think uh, I lost even at a certain stage 16 points in a row, uh, going down 6-3, uh, 2-love and love 30. Uh, but I managed to uh, yeah, play a, a few good serves, a few good shots, and, and somehow I turned the match around. Also with his help a little bit, I have to be honest, uh, he made a few mistakes. Um, but after that, I was really happy the way I played. Um, but uh, yeah, you always look forward, and, and, and in the next match, I, I think I have to play better to, to beat my next opponent. Yeah, we'll come on to that. Um, you're one of the players inside the top 50 who plays a lot of doubles as well. Um, you've, you've already won two titles, I think, this season in doubles, and you've just come off the doubles court. Do you, does that help your game? Do you enjoy playing doubles? 
uh, I definitely think it uh, it can help my game. Uh, uh, I mean, in doubles, it's it's mainly about serving, uh, returning, and a good first ball. Um, but it, it helps you to to stay aggressive. It helps you to sometimes get confidence. It sometimes helps you to to keep being in that match mode. Um, so so I I really enjoy it. I mean, tennis is also kind of a lonely sport it's an individual sport uh, suddenly in doubles it's a team effort uh, I like that as well um, uh, body wise it's tough <laughs> I mean uh, to play uh, every week in and out uh, singles and doubles uh, I'm getting older uh, everyone knows I guess already my knee is not the not the best uh, but h- however uh, with my team it's not only my uh, tennis coach but physical coach uh, osteopath and uh, we managed to to feel in the last two years better and better. So I'm excited to actually that I can play singles and doubles. So uh, hopefully I can do it uh, for a few more years. And actually, your your record in Rome is very good in doubles. You you reached the final, didn't you? Four years ago, I think. Um, you like it here in Rome? Ah, uh, it's a it's a lovely country. It's a lovely city. Maybe maybe the most beautiful uh, city in the world. If you talk about uh, historical uh, buildings and. Uh, and the statues all over uh, on a bridge or actually it doesn't even matter where you look uh, you see statues I, I, I like that um, the the crowd is great uh, of course you don't want them against you but uh, I, I think I have a lot of uh, Italian fans uh, from the early stages of my career I played a lot of futures and challenges in Italy so people know me I've done well in Italy in the past uh, as you mentioned the doubles final here so I think many many times I have the support and that helps and uh, so I always uh, like to come back here and I'm finally one around uh, here in, in, in singles I haven't done uh, so well lately here so uh, it's nice uh, to, to be also here in the second round and you've um, been on tour for a long time, as you say. 13 years, I think, you've been on tour now. 2005, you, you turned pro. What do you make of the, the new generation, people are calling it, these new players who are coming through? One of them's just walked past Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, but, but one of them, of course, you play next in Denis Shapovalov as well. Yeah, these are the two names that actually um, play a little bit different than the next generation. Uh, the... the the next gen, uh, how I look at them is uh, they uh, they play uh, hard, hard and hard. Uh, they just rip everything they see. Uh, these two players, they play very fast as well, but they have a drop shot, they have a short angle, they, they play serve and volley, they play a kick serve, they, they mix it up and I like that to see that variety. Uh, I think that gives them an edge a little bit over the other players at the moment of course they all these players need to evolve and 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 get better and they still have so many years to come Uh, but i i think it's nice to see that uh, these players are already doing so well at a young age and uh, uh, i i hope i can uh, i can keep up and 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 play a lot of matches against them i'm sure you will um one thing i also wanted to ask you about dennis is lefty and you know some might argue that he will benefit from that throughout his career you're also left-handed and yet you play tennis right-handed. Why, why is that? Yeah, I started uh, at a, such a young age. Uh, I was two when I uh, picked up my first racket. I actually picked it up with my left hand and I started to play left, uh, uh, left-handed forehand and uh, double-handed backhand. Um, but I couldn't serve. And of course, at that age, I, I didn't have uh, a teacher yet and I just played for fun. But the only people I knew around me that played tennis were my parents, my brother, my sister, and even friends. They were all right-handed. So what do you do as a yeah three, four-year-old? You you're like a monkey. You 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 copy everything. So um, I took my racket in the right hand uh, to throw the, to throw up the ball with my left because I I just didn't get at that young age how to do it in a different like a different way. So then my father asked me when I was four or five already yeah what do you want to become later and uh, it wasn't a surgeon it wasn't an astronaut or a doctor no it was a professional tennis player so then he said well then you have to make a choice and I, I don't know why but I guess because I didn't know how to serve with left I chose the right hand well I mean I have a great career you, you never knew never know what it would have been but uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's definitely sometimes an advantage to be a lefty you're also the top ranked Dutch player, the only Dutch player I think inside the top hundred at the moment. Um, what's the state of tennis in Holland at the moment? Well, it's uh, it's already for a f- few years. It's it's 
it's not as great as as it has been if you compare to a few years before that. But yeah, uh, it's also tough uh, if you have uh, Grand Slam champions in doubles, if you have number one in the world in doubles, if you have Grand Slam titles in singles and 17 titles in singles and nine single titles from another person. I mean, these are all huge names we had. So Krajicek, Schalken, Haas, well, you, you can name a few more. Um, the, the thing is, uh, if you compare with that, then yes, we're struggling. But we are a small country, so it's it's also not normal to have a generation like that. Um, I think we could have been better in the la- in the let's say f- five six years. But um, yeah, if you have three, four, f- maybe even five six good players, if one of them is injured, one actually doesn't like to travel, and one has maybe some private issues, well, then you suddenly only have three, and then from th- those three, everyone has to play their best to m- make it. So it's it's always very tough and. Uh, it's it's a little bit sad to see that uh, we don't have more because we really can have more, but there are also a few guys coming up now. So hopefully uh, they uh, they yeah they like to play and keep playing and and be on the tour and and let's see how they do. I am in the shadow of the Campo Centrale, standing with Vincenzo Santo Padre, and we're uh, the, while while the the action's going on uh, underway in the, in the Petrangeli as well. Vincenzo Santo Padre, who is the coach of Matteo Berrettini, yeah, and seems to be like this. <laughs> and Vincenzo, first of all, let me ask you um, importantly, how is Matteo? Because the ankle yesterday it didn't look great. Yeah, he had the exams this morning, uh, like uh, resonanza, and um, the, he has a uh, he has to be like uh, some days out of the court. So he will pull out from uh, Lyon and Qualis, but he will be able to play in Roland Garros, and that's important because uh, he had already problems with the ankles so many times. Uh, and um, f- fortunately, this this time is just a few days uh, injury. Yeah, I saw he, he wears ankle braces anyway. Um, is it a concern that the ankles are going at this early stage, or is it something that is going to get better? I think he's going going all better, but uh, he works on it, prevention, but um, we are working on, on this, but uh, the problem is that uh, his foot is uh, not in the best um, position when he plays, so we are working on that one, on this thing, and uh, we hope uh, we'll be always better. Great first round win against Francis Tiafo. Let's go back to that. You must have been delighted with the way he played in that one. Yeah, I think uh, we have to be, everybody uh, of his team has to be happy because of the uh, match against Tiafo, against uh, Zverev. Uh, I think for an Italian guy, and especially for a Roman guy, because he's, he's coming from Rome, it's really particular to play this tournament. And uh, he was able to 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 gain from the to, to after the experience of last year to improve to understand uh, what was the way to to perform uh, I I tried and uh, our team we tried uh, to to help me him to to understand uh, the way to play uh, we just ask uh, him to to put the heart on the court because uh, here you have uh, so much pressure but if you understand the pressure and you you see it from the right part maybe you will play better because there is a lot of people and uh, and that's and that's it. Yeah, because well, I mean, even today we saw what it meant to Fabio Fonini, an experienced player, 30 years old, to win on Campo Centrale. You know, it's he, he, it's been difficult for Fabio here. So for Matteo, presumably, to be doing this, playing there against the Madrid champion of last week, you know, at this young age, it's yeah. going to help so much. Yeah, I think it was his first time against a, like a top player. Uh, so maybe sometimes you can you can uh, listen to our coach that uh, says to you that uh, you are able to play in this uh, at, this, at this level. But uh, until you uh, you compete uh, against this player, maybe you you are a little bit scared. Uh, the thing is that uh, I I hope. I, um, after this match, uh, he can understand r- really and exactly that he can compete uh, uh, at this level. Because you've been his coach, I understand, for quite a long time. Um, yeah. How good is he? How good is this guy? 
is a really good guy and that's uh, uh, the reason why uh, I'm working like uh, giving 200% of my effort and energies and uh, we know that uh, to be a coach uh, to, you, are, you have to be a lot of time with the players so uh, if uh, Matteo wasn't uh, like the, the good guy he is I, I don't think I was here. So he's ranked 103 at the moment. Um, j- just finally, because you know I'm burning to ask the question. I know you coaches, you don't like putting numbers on things, but um, how high can he go? How good can he be? Uh, the thing is that it's not me that I don't want to say this about numbers, but uh, we have to to discover it uh, going going on. So. It's not because I don't want to say, but I think he has the possibility to um, to improve a lot, really a lot. So I can say top 50, but uh, I, I can be wrong because we have to to see every day how um, he solves the problems, how he will, how will he will improve. Uh, but I think he has a good chance to improve a lot. And I guess now just the, the focus is on getting the, the ankle and the body right for, for Roland Garros. Yeah, this is the, the, the aim, is to be healthy and then we can work on, uh, on uh, everything else. Grazie mille. Grazie a te. Good Italian for grazie mille. Eh? <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to, to talk with Paolo Bertolucci, former world number 12, Italian Davis Cup captain for, for a long time, 16 years, a player too, of course, and, and now a commentator for Sky Italia. Uh, and Paolo, let's, let's take those in reverse order, if you like. Um, you've just been commentating on that match between Rafa and, and Novak. What a match. Yeah, fantastic match. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Nole played the, the best match uh, since uh, 15 months. Uh, now he's playing much much better than uh, two three weeks ago, and uh, I think uh, the way it's uh, is not so long, uh, but he needs uh, to improve his physical condition. It feels like tennis needs a few more of those games. Yeah. You know, we've been missing those, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we need, absolutely, Nadal, uh, Federer, uh, Djokovic and Murray. Uh, and, uh, but now with the next gen, I think uh, in uh, two years, no more, we will see new guys, uh, fantastic players. And Rafa spoke so warmly at the end there to the crowd, I didn't realise he speaks such good Italian. Yeah, 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 he speaks, uh, he won here, I don't know, eight times, so it's normal, he speaks very, very well Italian and uh, I think uh, in Italy we have uh, many, many fans of him and uh, especially of Federer. Some wonderful matches earlier in the week with uh, Signor Fonini. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about Fonini, he's, he's such a mystery to us all. Absolutely mystery, <laughs> it's a mystery for, I don't, for the Italians, but for him too. Because uh, he, he can play very, very well, but uh, uh, every day is different for him and uh, depends how we get up in the morning. And you're synonymous with Italian tennis uh, in, in many ways, um, Paolo, but you were captain of the Davis Cup team yeah. for, for 16 years, from 85 to 2001. Do you enjoy yeah. that? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, we had a, a very good team. We played the final against Sweden in Milano. And, uh, and with, uh, we, we always have a, a good team in Italy. Also, also now with Fabio and, uh, and Seppi. But the Davis Cup, it's, uh, it's different uh, than 20 years ago. And now we will see what's going on uh, in the next years. Well, you won it, of course, as a player. I don't know. Yeah. I, I know you don't like to talk about your successes, no, but so just after after the Second World, you know. <laughs> so wow. it's uh, it's a long time ago. Uh, we won just once uh, in Italy, and uh, I'm very proud uh, uh, of that because uh, because uh, when you start to play tennis, uh, your dream is to play once. Uh, in Davis Cup, and then when you play Davis Cup, I say, "Jesus, I would like to win," and uh, that's happened in '76. Uh, yeah. 
And how important is this tournament for, for tennis in, in Italy? I know it, sound, it seems an obvious question, but I mean, you, you, I think your best Rome was 73, reached a semi-final. Yeah. How important was that to you in your career? Yeah, because I was I was very young, 20, 22 years old. Uh, I lost uh, to Nastase and Nastase uh, in the morning because the match was suspended the, the night before, and uh, in the afternoon he beats. Uh, I lost in five sets, and in, in the afternoon he beats Orantes one one and one. And then he won also Paris. So I was uh, the only player who won uh, two sets against him. And four years later, you, you had your biggest, well, arguably your biggest career title in Hamburg. You, I think yeah. you beat Orantes in the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, because uh, I, I played also very well in, in Germany. I won Berlin, I won Hamburg. And uh, the course uh, was uh, fantastic for me. And you mentioned, just finally, you mentioned the, um, the next gen. How yeah. different do you think the game is today? I mean, it's completely different. Completely different. Oh. I played against Borg and Villas, and then I saw Agassi, McEnroe, and uh, Sampras, and then uh, Federer. So every player is different. Uh, and uh, now it's uh, more physical, more physical and more mentally. The mentality is uh, maybe the most important things now in tennis, and they hit the ball so strong, so strong. I know it's different. Uh, the rackets, the uh, the strings, uh, the balls uh, are completely different. The court are very fast, uh, but the the guys are so strong. And Zverev is obviously established already. He's doing, I mean, remarkably well. In the next two or three years, when the big four finally hang up their rackets, yeah. who do you think is he's going to be battling with? Who do you think is going to be his main rival? Who, who is impressing you the most? I like I like very much uh, Shapovalov, uh, Tsitsipas, Chung. I think uh, I think uh, Choric. Uh, we don't have to wait too much time. Paolo, thank you very, thank much. You very much. Grazie mille. Grazie. Delighted to talk with Chris Commode, Executive Director and President of the ATP here in Rome. Chris, you've just spoken to uh, the massed media uh, about the next-gen ATP finals in Milan, which is something I know you're very passionate about anyway. Um, six months since the last one, how do you now reflect back on that first inaugural event? Doing any startup event is, uh, is, is a very uh, aging experience and uh, to get people to buy into uh, the vision of what you're trying to do is, is quite tough. So when we were first talked about this event, you know, we're going to do an event to launch the new stars, we're going to test case innovation. I saw a lot of blank faces looking at me going, what really is he trying to do here? Uh, and you know, we did a went around the world looking at various places to, to host it and I didn't really see any passion from anyone else and we met the Italian Tennis Federation and the Italian Olympic Committee and they immediately bought into this sort of vision of what we had which is let's launch the new stars, uh, let's put them on a piece of theatre, a stage where the, you know, globally people can see them um, to make a name which has worked because now you see these guys from next gen and they're playing at all these tournaments doing really well as a matter of fact which helps um, but also their names people go oh yeah they were they were at Milan last year the next gen but just as importantly as the next players is the next generation of fans and you know this is where the tour has got to look ahead for the future of the sport we're in the best position tennis is men's professional tennis that it's ever been uh, in all the commercial numbers and all the on-site attendance and TV numbers, over a billion people watched ATP World Tour Tennis last year globally. Incredible. But we need to look ahead and go, can we keep that relevance in the next 10 years? Can we be even better? Um, and the next generation of fans is crucial to that because all sport is going to have to face this. Where are the next generation of fans coming from and how uh, kids are consuming, my children are in their, in their 20s, how they are consuming uh, sport and entertainment and any sort of media uh, information is just so drastically different to how when I grew up and we need to adapt to that. 
you said in the in the press conference, uh, and you, you've just reiterated it there. It was effectively a startup <laughs> business last yeah. year, um, and I remember you uh, you joked last year that it did take years off your life getting that first one up and running. Does it feel more settled now? Oh, uh, totally. I mean, the, the the first one's always you know right to the end. I mean, I you know stood in the arena last year about four days before, very nervous, thinking, are we actually going to pull this off? And then. Four days later, the day before we started, it was transformed into this incredible show. Um, and it w way surpassed all my expectations, I have to say. It was a huge gamble looking back. Um, you know, some of the things, we had a lot of technology there, and maybe none of it worked, which would have you know, made us look very foolish. But it went without a, any hitch at all. It was incredible. And yes, people have got different views of what they liked and didn't like. Um, but you know the survey that we did on site you know over 90% of the people said it met or exceeded their expectation of what this event was about so it's a huge achievement. In terms of the the trialing and, and the variations largely the same again this year um, in 2018 does that reflect the fact that it worked or that you still need to retest things? I think a bit of both um, you know we we're, we're talking long term you know we're doing this from a position of strength to look at where we should be in the future rather than rushing into making mad changes because you've got to keep the balance is keeping the traditional elements of the sport the gladiatorial nature that all the elements that make tennis great and what people like myself love the game for but how can we adapt it going going further forward so um, I think, you know, lots of them, uh, all the things I think worked in a delivery sense, now we've got to gauge whether people buy into it. And 15 matches, that's all it was last year. So 15 matches is not enough data to really evaluate strongly. So we need to do it, I think, repeat lots of those so we have more data in terms of length of matches and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I think we'll know a lot more after this year. So what is new this year? So one of the things I remember watching the first match and we had severely reduced the warm-up and actually I still thought it was too long. So we're reducing that even further and maybe we'll keep reducing that to a point where maybe it doesn't exist but at least we'll, we'll get to a point where we think actually this is, this is the optimum time. Um, the other one we're you know, just going to try is um, you know, historically the, uh, the players have their towels at the end of the court and the ball kids you know, deliver the towels in between points. And um, we're now going to stop that. Um, the towel is you know, based at the end of the court. It's up to the player to go and choose whether they need it. And again, the data will be interesting to see, does that actually make the game longer? Are there more gaps because it's longer to walk? Or maybe players decide to use it less and it speeds up the game. Um, and I think there's also a perception issue as well that you know, I think it's uh, you know, probably not quite right that you know, ball kids are handling towels. But you know, that's my own personal opinion. And it was interesting in the press conference that the first two questions that fired to you, as you'd probably expect, were about what's next, what's the process, the timing for taking these onto the world stage effectively, onto the ATP Tour. Um, could you just repeat for me what, what you said in, in the room? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some things that when we started this, we didn't know, we didn't put a time frame on it. And we just, how, how long can any of this uh, take? <clears throat> and I think the first two ones we were surprised at was the shot clock and the reduced warm-up, I think can happen on the tour very quickly, you know, possibly 19 or 20, and, you know, uh, we can get those up and running. I think the medical timeouts, um, you know, and I think the toilet breaks and those sort of things, free crowd movement of people, all those elements I think can happen quite quickly in the next two or three years. The scoring system is always going to be the one that people will get you know, is most controversial because you end up going, does this dramatically change the outcome of a winner of a tennis match from, you know, the, the standard play? Um, <clears throat> and we'd have to test that a lot, a lot longer. I mean, I personally loved the fact that it was so intense from point one and didn't drop throughout the whole game. It was played at, you know, at 11. It was just huge. Um, but... I, We'll need to see what those outcomes of those matches are. You don't want a system or a game where maybe it is just always the big hitters that win or a game where it's always the baseliners that win, whatever. You need to have that variable, so you need to test it more. And in terms of the players, I was interested to hear you say that really your expectation was that these players would be 200, 300 in the yeah. world, and of course they're not, they're not that at all. Um, the guy sat next to you in the press conference, case in point, the champion, Hyun Chung, 
they're doing incredible things. Un unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he was astonishing at the event. I mean, blew everyone away, but made himself a global star through that process. And then went on, you know, this was in November, went on in January and did so well at the Australian Open. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be top 10 player for sure. <clears throat> but the whole raft of these characters and what's so pleasing for me as sort of, you know, running the you know, men's professional tennis is the calibre uh, of the players is incredible. The difference in play is incredible. So you have different styles of play and the characters are different, but also spread throughout the world. The global diversity of this talent is incredible. So you have Australians back in the game, you've got Canadians, you've got Americans, you've got Europeans, you've got South Americans, you've got Asians. We are a global sport and that's what is needed to sell a global sport. Yeah, there, there are currently three players, I think, in the top eight who were there last year. So new faces guaranteed yeah for sure um, yeah just to summarize then next gen midterm report here to stay and largely the same again is that right absolutely and uh, if you didn't tune in last year watch it it is incredible it is something new we are at the start of the conversation about where the future of our sport goes and be a part of it now, don't forget, we will have commentary from the next-gen finals in Milan later in the year. And if you do have any thoughts about the changes that have been made, or maybe something that you would like to see brought into next-gen, or maybe you'd like to get involved in Towelgate, as Andy Roddick did. And as you look back on our ATP Tennis Radio timeline, you will see the comments that Andy Roddick made when Nick McCarville suggested that towels shouldn't be allowed at the back of the court. He said, no, 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 that is wrong, wrong, wrong. So if you'd like to have a say on that or anything else, we're always checking Twitter. Use the handle at ATP Tennis Radio. Now, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, if you enjoy what you listen to, that would be lovely. Thank you very much in advance. Don't forget to keep listening to ATP Tennis Radio for all the goings on on the ATP World Tour. That's around our commentaries that come to you from the Masters events. The next stop for us is going to be Toronto at the start of August. We've got the finals of 500s, those next-gen finals I was mentioning, and the Nito World Tour finals around that we just have some really good stuff sort of behind the scenes of the ATP World Tour go to atpworldtour.com for daily results and tune in for Roland Garros from Sunday the 27th of May courtesy of Radio Roland Garros and you'll get ball by ball commentary and not forgetting our weekly podcast which will have a Parisian feel to them for the next few weeks we will speak to you again soon